This is the fifth and final episode in a special series of The Producers. Agriculture 2023 celebrates the farmers and produce of Northern Tasmania. In five conversations, we get to know farmers caring for both land and community. Along the way, we hear how strong local food systems and ethical farming not only foster delicious food, they also benefit farmers, eaters, and the earth we all share. This is The Producers. I'm Danny Vallant. Matthew Young owns Alphen Grove Farm in northern Tasmania. With the climate consistent and the rainfall reliable, Matt has turned his undulating acres into an incredibly diverse business, growing everything from pharmaceutical poppies, peas for processing, and a mysterious, ugly vegetable that was unknown to him before he started farming it himself. There are three generations of youngs on this farm. Whether they're eight or 80, they all feel very tied to this patch of land in Northern Tasmania. Uh, so Matthew Young, we're on Elfin Grove, where we have Elfin Grove Farm, we're at East Sassafras in Northern Tasmania. So we got 550 acres, which is 220 hectares, depending on what units you want to work in. Uh, so we do vegetable cropping. So we grow potatoes, peas, beans for Simplot for the processing market, poppies for pharmaceutical. We grow grass seed and canola seed for bulk up seed companies, uh, sweet corn celeriac for the fresh market, and we also have sheep and cattle. It's very green at the moment, it's good. Um, I actually managed to get a couple of weeks away and came back and was pleasantly surprised at how much growth we've had and everything. It's always, this time of year, everything's down to a pasture or a fodder crop of some description. So yeah, it's all very green and looking very lush and nice. We're not on flat country. We've got a couple of fairly level paddocks, but overall it's fairly undulating and rolly which can make things a little bit interesting but yeah we know how to manage it now so you farm to what you've got matt arrived in northern tasmania after his parents made a speedy decision to up sticks and farm in what they saw as the land of greater opportunity he picks up the tail so mum and dad moved up here well i came up too but i was only two at the time that was in 1980 so my father was born and bred on bruny island down below hobart so I was born down there and mum was the district nurse on there when mum and dad met, so they ended up farming that. And when they left, there was the first time in about 150 years there hadn't been a young living on Bruny Island. So yeah, dad looked for more opportunities, more diversity off the island, something that wasn't constricted to just livestock and controlled by boats on and off basically. And he always says he came up here on a Sunday and bought it on the Tuesday. So. Yeah, it was a pretty pretty simple decision. Being an only child, I had to be fairly self-sufficient and made my own fun, but I just used to ride motorbikes and I'd go and help Dad, I'd go fishing, I'd do, yeah, just roam the place basically. So there's not very much of this farm that I haven't had a good look at over the years between working it and growing up on it. So yeah, it's good. It's a wicked place to grow up. Love it. Um, my kids love it. So it's good. Matt never decided to be a farmer the knowledge lived in him for as long as he can remember. He left school early, but has kept studying and learning on the job, especially as his business has grown more and more diverse. Don't remember when the decision was made. I just always wanted to do it. Um, I can remember being in grade seven in high school and you do the lap around the classroom of what do you want to be when you grow up and I said I wanted to be a farmer. 
that was just what I've always wanted to do and I left high school end of grade 10 and went straight into a farming apprenticeship you could do at that stage so um, and I've since done other courses diplomas in ag and rural business management and that sort of stuff which it's what I've recognised and looking back I probably would have gone to uni and actually done a like a management course side of things because the farming side of things hasn't changed a great deal over the years that I've been doing it but running a business is a totally different scenario to growing crops and doing that sort of thing so yeah I've done a fair bit of study in that sort of thing since I left school and have become a lot more involved in the running of the farm. There's so many properties around here that basically if you want to do something you can basically you can grow it you can do it like there's majority of the farms around this area are doing vegetable production as well as beef and sheep um there's a lot of grain production it's a very consistent climate in this area so we're not getting the extremes that they do in other areas we get a consistent rainfall um yeah it's just a good easy well easy as farming can get easy place to farm so yeah oh yeah they're really good it's a usual farming community if someone needs a hand they ring up if you need a hand you ring them it's just yeah it's a good community and i grew up with a lot of them who are now in the same position as i am of taking over their parents farm and so you went through school with them so you know them all and yeah you still get together quite regularly and have a catch up celeriac isn't a celebrity vegetable it's not very pretty and people don't necessarily know how to use it. How did Matt start growing a vegetable he didn't even recognise? Uh, a friend of mine was running a wholesale business in Sprayton. I was playing rugby with him at the time and they had a stand at Agfest. And I walked up to him just to, I was involved in rural youth, so I was involved in the running of Agfest at the time and walked up to him and he threw me this ugly looking bowl and he said, you ought to grow that. And I went, that's fine, what is it? And he said, it's celeriac. I reckon it'd go really well. So we looked into it and we talked to Hills Transplants at Don and had a chat to them about it because they grow the seedlings and they went, oh yeah, we should be able to do that. So first year we put 1,500 bulbs in by hand. So literally crawling along the ground, poking the seedlings in and that went pretty well and it's just steadily grown from there. Um, the thing we found was we can't push it too much. So if we feed it, and push it it grows too big and it gets out of spec for markets um so we're better off to just put it in and do the minimum to keep it growing and we seem to end up with a more consistent crop of a size that's a saleable product it does its own thing it's an individual plant that does its own thing and the next door neighbor to it could be a kilo bulb and there could be a bulb that's next to it that's only two or three hundred grams it was planted literally within seconds of each other so I don't know what it is. Um, I'd like to work out what it is so I could make things a bit more even, but um, it is a water-hungry crop. It does like a lot of moisture. Um, so it's just, yeah, it just does its own thing. The youngs have grown sweet corn on and off. Matt explains the ups, downs, strategies and pressure points of farming corn on the cob. Well, we, we actually grew sweet corn years ago commercially. McCain's used to grow it within Tassie for their processing market. So my father was very involved in the TFGA sweet corn growers group, I suppose, was the best way to put it. Um, and then they took markets away as they do 
competing on a global standard and took it all to grow in New Zealand. So we stopped for a while and we were in at a greengrocer's delivering some celery hack and they were complaining about the quality of the sweet corn they had in and Dad made a comment to them, oh, we used to grow that and they said, well, you should grow it again. So we gave it a try. Um, Didn't really work out, just didn't have the time to put into it properly. So we backed it off for a couple of years and then came back in and with a different strategy and it's just grown massively since then. Uh, the biggest thing is trying to get a consistent harvest. So we plant every sort of week to 10 days once we start planting. So that way we should technically get a week to 10 days of harvest out of each planting as we go through. Um, grub control is another thing we have a bit of issue with. Um, you get a heliothus grub and a corn earworm that goes into it. So they just damage the cob, um, which makes it basically a second. Um, but yeah, it's more managing the, the growth rates and trying to get a consistent harvest because there's nothing worse than starting supplying something and then not being able to have a consistent supply through. You've got to try and get a, once we start, we're all the way through and so far, we're getting it pretty well worked out. We've had a couple of variety changes over the years. Um, one variety that we had everything down pretty well on, they decided to stop supplying the seed. So we then had to go try and find other varieties. So I've talked to a lot of people on the mainland who actually specialise in corn seed and the variety we've got at the moment that we had all in last year seems to be like it's going to work pretty well. But it's interesting because we hand harvest everything because... It's actually one of the most efficient ways we can find of getting a consistent good corn cob, basically, because you can go through the machines, but the machine harvests everything. So you can't then get a second pick and you've got to do a lot more grading where we basically grade while we're picking. But the different varieties pick differently. The variety we've got at the moment, I can usually pick with two hands. So you're just walking down, picking two rows, pulling the cobs off. We use apple picking bags. So we pick into there and then tip them into a bin. Um, but some of these, they wouldn't snap as, they're just a stronger stalk. So you'd actually have to use two hands to snap them off. And yeah, it was just, it's interesting finding little things about different varieties that are different. Some of Matt's produce goes to big processors, but he sells his celeriac and sweet corn to local home cooks and chefs. How does it all work? And what's it like to eat what you grow in a top restaurant? So we sell to local grocers, supermarkets, and also to restaurants. So Massimo and Silos have been a big, big taker from as soon as they opened, they started on it. Um, Joseph Cromies, Tim Tamba, there's a lot of other restaurants up around Launceston that take it, Mona and Hobart, and there's a few other restaurants down there that take quite a bit every now and then. Um, but yeah, majority of it goes to local grocers and that we sell quite a bit through the farmer's markets when we're going, but we only go when we've got the sweet corn as well, because not a lot of people know what celeriac is and spending four hours trying to talk people into buying something is a very long day. We think we grow good produce. I get good feedback. We're happy with it. What we eat ourselves, we think is pretty good, but to actually go to a restaurant and eat something that a professional chef has cooked. And the flavours they can get out of it is just phenomenal. Um, and the way they look at something and turn it into something else is just, yeah. Um, I have quite a bit to do with Matt at Tambor and like they make a cream out of the corn and stuff like that. And you just look at it and go, 
what made you, they basically juice it and turn it into a, a custard and do stuff like that and you're looking it's like it's a corn cob don't you just cook it and eat it but the way they can really enhance the flavor and what it does on the plate and ties in with everything else is just it's really good to see and unfortunately i don't get as much of a chance to do it as much as i'd like we were supplying mona oh, was a couple of years ago now and they were I, this bloke he ordered like a couple hundred kilos of it which Mona do occasionally because I have big functions and different things and I said oh what are you going to do with it and they were in the process of going to all plant based protein menu so no meat based or anything like that and he said I actually want to turn it into a pastrami and I went righto that's a bit different so yeah they were literally going to slow roast it coat it smoke it and then shave it to put in the in sandwiches they were doing so okay. I don't know how it worked, but it was one of those things going, what makes you think of you turning a celeriac into an actual pastrami? Um, to be able to sell a local product to a local restaurant and have people we know go and eat it and get feedback directly, it's, yeah, it's just, it's good as a grower who's, like we've always grown up, well, I grew up growing, selling, processing. So peas go in a bulk truck, they're gone it's a frozen product you get no apart from the payment you get with the grading on it you don't actually get feedback of the produce so being able to grow and go and visit restaurants with thomas or go to the farmers markets and actually get direct feedback from the people you're selling to and who are eating your product that's been a real learning curve for me over the last six or seven years um even because we produce a baby corn as well when we're doing the sweet corn side of things and um I was in Hobart, actually went down to the market there and Vince from Mona came up and I'd sold him celeriac and he saw the stall and came over to say good day and he tried one of the baby corn and he immediately bought three boxes to be delivered on the Tuesday because you just had the relationship and it's no different to what we've done with Massimo and with the other restaurants and things. Like you get the the relationship with them and but they'll also, like chefs talk just as much as what farmers do like you talk to sell something to one and he'll go and next thing you know you're getting a phone call from somebody else who went there and i was talking to him and he'll try that and that's really good can i get some of that to do this and it's just it's how we've built what we've done basically matt's farm has so many product lines and seasonal shifts is there anything approaching a typical day depends what week what day what month it is um Last we've been lambing for the last month and a half, so the first thing was a you're out at daylight to check sheep, and then just basically fencing maintenance work in between to be then checking sheep again in the afternoon, and then feeding cattle and that sort of thing. Um, coming up into we'll start getting ground ready in the next month, so we'll be spraying paddocks off, we'll be getting ploughing, and then you're into irrigation and crop growth season, and yeah, throw a bit of sheep work and cattle work in between when they're ready to go. So, but we'll be looking at marking lamb soon, so that'll be another few busy days. But honestly, I enjoy it all. Um, it depends on the day. Like yesterday, I was working cattle, and that was really good until the wind got up, and then they got stroppy, and I got a little bit stroppy as well because neither of us wanted to be out in it. So it can go from being a really enjoyable job to a not enjoyable job doing the same thing just within an hour just because something changes or something happens. So I don't. I don't really go out going, oh, yeah, I've got a really good day. This is going to happen because 
I've been caught before where you go out and go, oh, it's going to be a great day. This is going to happen. And you walk out the door and something goes wrong and the whole day goes to to ruin. Um, but you have other days where you go out and then something goes right and your whole day goes, oh, right, that was just a really good day. That went really quickly. That was awesome. So I mean, there's jobs that aren't very pleasant, but there's jobs that you can make fun that aren't very pleasant. So it's more you just have to go out and do it usually one of those days when it's wet and raining and horrible you just put your head down and go and do it but you know there's not too many of them and it's all positive at some stage so matt has always been on the farm with his parents now his son seems to be turning into a farmer too what kind of future is matt building for his family his community and northern Tasmania. Dad's at the process of retiring. He's in his early 80s, so, well, I say retiring. He's backing off. He's never going to retire. Um, you don't, I'll retire. Old farmers don't retire. They just slow down. So he's, yeah, backing off, and I'm taking on more of the running side of things and the management side. He's still a very integral part of the business, and mum does all the book work. So, yeah, they're both very heavily involved, and... I've got a daughter who's coming through who loves living on the farm but doesn't have any interest in running it, but a son who's coming through who's pretty keen and keeps getting people asking if he's going to be a farmer and he says that he already is. So, yeah, we if it ends up that his attitude stays that way and he wants to run the farm, then the farm's here for him. If, if it all turns around, then we'll see where we go from there. We'll make that decision when it happens. The more local stuff we can grow and sell, the better it is, not just for everyone within Tassie, but also the farmers within Tassie. Because if we're not trying to send things across that strip of water, then the costs aren't as much. It's We can be cheaper for everybody. So, But yeah, red tape's probably the thing that worries you the most. Um, we used to grow under a Fresh Care Limited label, um, so a quality assurance program. And we got... We have ended up dropping that. We haven't changed how we farm or what we do and the records we keep. We just don't get the accreditation anymore because they were treating us like a corporate farm, not like a family farm. So we were getting in trouble. Well, probably in trouble isn't the right words for it, but we were getting issues raised when we were getting audited because the conversation that me and Dad had in the paddock about what crops we were going to grow next year and where we are going to put them wasn't a minuted meeting. So little things like that that just... And then the costs of the audit keep going up. So we were looking at two and a half to three thousand dollars to be audited for a fresh care label that we weren't getting any benefit back out of. If Matt steps back from day-to-day tasks and an ever-shifting list of things to do, what is it that he really loves about what he does? Being my own boss is the best thing. Um, yeah, some days you miss things because there's jobs to do and you've got to do it, but other days are quieter and you can go so yeah just depends on the year but the flexibility and just I don't do crowds that well because I live on a farm by myself (laughs) most of the day so yeah I'm not looking forward to ever sitting in an office or doing anything like that just the the freedom to do what you want when you need to was the best part we try and grow the best product that we can um There's no farmers out there that don't really because honestly, the better the product, the more money you're going to get for it. And as much as farming's a lifestyle, it's also a business. If we're not making money, we're not going to be able to keep going. Um, But getting the positive feedback for the product that we're selling 
and saying how flavorful it is and all the other feedback you can get it just makes you go right well yes we are what we are doing i thought i was doing it right but yes i am it's actually going well and yeah what we're producing is a good product and people are happy with it so that's nearly as fulfilling as the payment that comes with it to be honest when matthew young was growing up most of his family's produce went away for processing with big companies and was never seen again or even eaten in tasmania now he's added products with shorter supply chains and local buyers to the mix. It's part of a sustainable farming business, but it's also enriching as a grower. Matt Young is farming delicious food for Northern Tasmania today, and he has more than half an eye on a bright future with strong local food systems at its heart. This is The Producers, a Deep in the Weeds production. I'm Danny Vallant. Stay tuned as we talk to some of Australia's best farmers, makers and growers. Follow us on Instagram at Producers Podcast or contact us via deepintheweeds.com.au.